Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Verse 38 reads as such, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. I want you to remember that word, welcome. Welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not, which will not be taken away from her. You may be seated. Let me pray for us. God, your goodness was evident when we woke up this morning. How much we appreciate it is a different story. Your grace was evident when we went on our way this morning. How much we noticed it is a different story. But I stand here before you letting this congregation know that you are eternally good. You are eternally gracious. You are our father who cares. Your son has gone to the cross and died for our sins. And for those of us who believe he has cleansed us. And so I pray that today's message would be a word of edification for us who are already in the body of Christ. And I pray that it would be a word of evangelism for those who feel that God is pulling us closer. And I pray that it will teach us how to live our lives for your glory. How to live our lives as disciples better. And how to live our lives to show off the witness of your goodness and your lordship. So as we walk through these verses, will you be with us? Will you hide me behind the rugged cross? May I decrease so you can increase. And may the word of God be proven true yet once again. It's in Jesus' name we pray and we thank you. Amen. Now before I start, I want to just give a special thank you to the shepherd of this house, Pastor Benson, for having me back. I loved y'all so much. As I said, Lord, the Lord allowed me to come back so it's good to be back here with you again and then I want to shout out my wife and our two children back there Adina and Addison and Avi that little baby right there if you ever had a newborn in your house you know how hard it is to sleep at night and how hard it is to get up in the morning but when I have to preach my wife takes those duties and so I am just excited that she is able to be here with us and our baby girl Addison who is a believer in Jesus and is growing in that daily it is good to see her grow we were riding this morning and I was coming down a street and she said uh, daddy did you see the homeless man and I said no I didn't see the homeless man I'm sorry sweetie because we try to always give uh, finances or food or something to people without homes and resources and she said it's okay you didn't see him I already prayed for him I prayed that God would give him everything he needs and that just struck a chord of gratefulness in my heart well, today I want to title this text, When Grace Came Over for Dinner. When Grace Came Over for Dinner. Now, many of you, this may seem like eons ago, what I am getting ready to share to you. Some of you weren't even alive, and some of you won't even be able to make the placement. But I want to take us back 
in time a little bit to December 12, 1976. On December 12, 1976, a groundbreaking film would premiere on the big screens all across the United States of America. This movie had a familiar plot, but the difference about this movie is it painted this plot in an actual positive life, light, while others painted it in a negative light. This movie was about the back then taboo topic of interracial relationships. Uh, the plot of this movie was there was this young 23-year-old wealthy woman who was studying in Hawaii, and she met this 37-year-old doctor who was lecturing at the University of Hawaii, and within 10 days, they fell in love with one another, and this 23-year-old interracial, watch this interracial relationship, white woman would bring this 37-year-old man home to her family to let them know that their relationship was intimate and their marriage was imminent. Now, many of you, just from the plot and when the movie came out, can place it already. It starred an amazing young Sidney Portier, and the movie is called Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. It's a classic all within itself. Now, if you know about the movie, you already know this, but if not, let me tell you, she brings this 37-year-old man home who is a distinguished doctor who practices tropic medicine but all of that doesn't matter because all her parents can see is the color of his skin they are shocked and they are amazed and what this movie does is it takes us through the time that it takes them to get to dinner and it takes us to the dinner table and it shows us that the dinner table is one of those places that you can stand around and you can come or you can sit down as one person and you can leave another you can come and you can sit down with one set of ideals and you can leave with another. You can come and sit down with an alt with a family member and you can leave with either another alt or forgiveness. Now, some of you know what I'm talking about because your Thanksgiving table every year is like another part of let's guess who's coming to dinner. Because cousin so-and-so told aunt so-and-so about so-and-so and it's a hot topic and you realize that I've learned something new about myself. Either I've learned that the flesh still has the hold on me and I couldn't use those kind of words anymore, or I've listened to Pastor Benson's messages and I learned that I got some self-control due to the Holy Spirit. But the dinner table is a place where we can sit down one way and get up and leave another. Well, I got some good news for you that dinner tables didn't just start being that way when Sidney Portier was casted for that movie. It started well before he was born. It didn't start in America. If you look in your scripture, Jesus actually made much of the dinner tables he sat at. When I think about the wedding in Cana, when they had run out of wine and he turned the water into wine, I wonder what they said about him at those dinner tables. When I think about him in the Gospels, when he sat down with tax collectors and sinners, I wonder how he changed their worldview at those dinner tables. When I think about the Last Supper and him there with his disciples, I wonder what the emotion was like at those dinner tables. If you read your scriptures and you read them carefully, Jesus is known for having people sit down one way at the dinner table and them getting up and leaving another. Well, today we find Jesus at another dinner table. But instead, he is at the dinner table of this young lady, Martha, and her sister, Mary. Now, what we learn from here, this text has one big idea and one big idea only. Jesus teaches a distracted Martha the necessity of living like a devoted Mary. 
Now, what you have to know about this passage of Scripture is that it does not stand alone. It is actually the third part of a two-part interaction that came before when Jesus was teaching people the true way of discipleship. Says if you want to be a discipleship, you got to be able to listen to what I say and do it. If you want to be in discipleship, you have to be able to give up what I say and not cling to it, but cling to me. And in this very moment, he is teaching another level of discipleship. If you want to be a true disciple, you cannot be a distracted Martha. You have to be a devoted Mary. Now, here's the hard part of the text. There are only two choices on this multiple choice test. There is no gray area in the midst of this. So New Direction, I want you to know this. As we work through this passage, this is not the time to be aspirational in thinking who you are. This is the time to be factual in who you have actually been in your life. In this latest season with COVID going crazy, when getting the kids back to school and going back to work and wearing masks and food prices rising and the world feeling so totally different, have you been a distracted Martha or a devoted Mary? Now, remember the title of the sermon, When Grace Came Over to Dinner. So this message is not to shame you. It's not to condemn you. It's not to beat you up. But it's to show you that if you have been a distracted Martha, grace is going to show up. And if you have been a devoted Mary, grace is still going to show up because you need more to keep on going. So what I want you to do as I walk through this passage, I want you to pull out a piece of paper, pull out your iPhone, pull out your iPad, whatever you take notes with. And I want you to tally. I want you to keep score as we're walking through the passage. And I want you to continuously ask yourself, am I living my life right now as a distracted Martha or devoted Mary? For my man in the room, don't get caught up on the gender because we too are either distracted Marthas or devoted Marys. So the first thing we learn in the passage when we look at verse 38 is distracted Marthas invite Jesus to their table but are too busy to sit with him. Distracted Marthas invite Jesus to their table but are too busy to sit with him. Look at verse 38 with me. It says, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him in to her house. As you see it, Jesus had just finished preaching. He had just finished walking. He had just finished discipling and meeting with some people. And he's walking through a village. And yes, I'm sure Jesus was trying to figure out what he was going to eat, where he was going to go. But Jesus didn't invite himself into Martha's house. Martha let out the invitation for Jesus and said, Jesus, won't you come on over to my house? So Jesus accepts her invitation. She gets, he gets into her home. And what happens immediately after that is that Martha is more distracted on what she wants to do for Jesus or how she wants to present to Jesus more than she is about the relationship she should have with Jesus. Now, let me give it to you on a superficial level on an for illustration. Some of us this morning got up and we were ready to meet with Jesus. And our morning went like this. We spent 45 minutes picking out what we were going to wear. Then we had a slew of Bibles in front of us, and we could not find our favorite Bible, so we spent 15 minutes looking for the favorite one. Yeah, 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 it's like not, not any Bible wouldn't just do. We need our favorite Bible. Then after we got our favorite Bible, we finally got outside of the door, and we said, you know what? I'm running a little late, but I still need to get my cup of coffee. 
So everything we were doing was getting ready to come here and be a part of worship for Jesus. But instead, we do it trying to present for Jesus and we spent no time with Jesus. So we come in the door razzled and frazzled. We can't say hi. We got to get to our seat. And instead of doing all of that, if we would have just set aside some time for prayer, if we would have just set aside some time to say, God, open my heart for you. If we would have just said some time to prepare my heart, God would have told you, you don't need your favorite Bible. I don't care what you have on. Coffee is not going to save you. Only my spirit can lead you. Get in the car, pray to me, and make sure that you are in relationship with me. Martha was worried about the dishes and the pots and the pans. She was worrying about what was going to be on the menu. She was worrying about her hospitality. And hospitality is not a bad thing, but hospitality can become a bad thing when it steps in the way of the fundamental things we need to receive from discipleship. And that's a superficial example, but can I give you a little bit of a deeper example? And what this passage is teaching us about Martha, that distracted Martha's welcomed Jesus in to their space. We welcome Jesus in to our hearts. We welcome Jesus in to our homes, but we're too busy to sit down with him. This also rings true for those of us who are first step only Christians. What I mean by first step only Christians in our Christian experience, instead of going deep into sanctification, we are excited about taking the first step into something, but we never get past the first step. And what happens is we end up learning the same things over and over again. We end up having the same groundwork to get laid down over and over again. Why? Because we invited Jesus in and we said, Jesus, I'm ready for you, but I'm too busy to sit down with you. We take the first step to salvation, but are too busy for spiritual growth. We take the first step in prayer, but are too busy for consistency. We take the first step to reading your Bible, but are too undisciplined to put your phone down. We take the first step to make your marriage better, but not committed enough for counseling. We're first step only Christians. And if you believe I'm making this up, I tell you I'm not. If you would go with me really quickly to Hebrews 5, verses 11 through 14, the writer of Hebrews talks about first-step Christians. says, verse 11, about this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You've been taught them before, but you need them taught again. Why? It's not because you can't comprehend. It's because you won't comprehend. He says, you need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Since he is a child, but solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by, watch this, constant practice to distinguish good from evil. First steppers put their hands on something. They're excited about the initial stages of it. They're excited about the emotion that comes with wanting something new. But when it comes time to follow through, they step back. And then they come back and they step again and then they step back. And then they come back and they step again and they step back. So their spiritual language is reorientation, not sanctification. That they need to continuously be reoriented to the word, but they're never sanctified in the word because they haven't stayed long enough or they've been too busy to actually make headway. Now, could you imagine 
One thing I know, having a newborn, is newborns really illustrate this passage well. Newborns go from formula or breast milk to cereal. They go from cereal to stage one baby food. They go to stage one to stage two, three, four, and so on. And then after that, once they start get teeth, they get to meat. Now, could you imagine being in your local Target and you're going to shop for a baby or your grandbaby and a grown man pops up next to you and he's picking all this baby food off the shelf and you hear him say to himself, man, my dinner's going to be good tonight. And he says, I'm going to get these sweet potatoes right here. I'm going to get some green beans right here. And you say to him, excuse me, sir, can you say what you said again? He said, my dinner is going to be tonight. And you would look at him and say, why are you a grown man eating baby food? And what if he told you? Because I never learned how to use my teeth. I have them, but I don't want to use them. I, I keep trying to chew meat, but then I step away and go back to baby food. I, I keep trying to get the, the chicken off the bone, but I go right back to baby food. A lot of you will walk out of that target and say it's some weird people in the world today. But then think about it. That's how some of us look spiritually. We are first step only Christians. That's point number one. Distracted Marthas invite Jesus to their table, but are too busy to sit down with him. We see that in verse 38 now. Uh, and a woman, Martha, welcomed him into her house. And then we can see the concluding part in verse 40. But Martha was too distracted with much serving. But then the passage teaches us something about Mary's. That devoted Mary's make time to sit at Jesus' feet and hang on every word. Look at verse 39 with me. It says, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now, if you just read that piece of scripture and you didn't dig into it, you would say, okay, Mary sat down and she listened to Jesus. What's the big, what's the big deal? Martha had some stuff to do and Mary decided to sit on her behind and she listened to the words of Jesus. But what you will see if you dig into the passage that there were two things very important about Mary that Martha didn't have. Mary had an undisturbed posture, and she gave Jesus her undivided attention. Let's talk about her undisturbed posture. Look at what it says in verse 39. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet. Sitting at the Lord's feet was not just what she did because she couldn't find anywhere else to sit in the house. Sitting at the Lord's feet is not what she did just because that was the place where she found herself comfortable. Sitting at the Lord's feet was her sitting at the Lord's feet in a place in a posture of submission. And she says, Lord, I know you're the teacher. I know you're the one giving out the valuable information. What I want to do is I'm going to sit at your feet because I want you to know that nothing else is more important than me sitting here and gleaming the word from you. She sits at his feet. She sits at his feet. She doesn't let anything else distract her. She is in a posture of submission. Now, this is what happens when we're in postures of submission. What Mary does is she says, when I'm sitting at your feet, Lord, this is what I'm going to do. I am going to make a sovereignty transfer. When I'm sitting at your feet, what I am going to do is I am going to tell you, you are the teacher. You control my time. I am in submission to you, and I won't get up from this place until you tell me to. When I sit at your feet, I'm going to push everything else off the table. And what Martha was trying to do is she was trying to have Jesus and the other stuff. She was trying to multitask. 
It's a word that humans use a lot and is actually false. Humans cannot multitask. The word multitask also, uh, it comes from computer language. When a computer program is doing more than one thing at a time. But what humans can do is they can do multiple things at one time and not pay attention to any of them 100%. That's multitasking for the human. I'm going to do this at 25%. I'm going to do this at 30%. While you're talking to me, I'm going to think about this for 10%. And my, nothing has your undivided attention. So when I'm sitting and I'm on my phone trying to send a text message and my wife is talking to me and I'm telling her, I'm paying attention to you, I'm lying, I'm not. I'm not 100% paying attention to you. You probably have about 25% of my time. Too many of us try to multitask with Jesus. There is a difference between giving Jesus your time and giving your time up to Jesus. Giving Jesus your time is about you fitting him in your schedule. Giving your time up to Jesus is about him setting the schedule. And Martha says, listen, Lord, I'm going to sit at your feet like I ain't got nothing else to do today because there's nothing more important than me being in this position of submission and giving you my undivided attention. Martha, when she sits down and looks up to Jesus, she looks at to him and lets him know by her gaze upon him that there's nothing else more important. Martha, when she sits down at the feet of Jesus, she says, I don't care what's going on in this house. There could be pots falling, plates breaking. That ain't my concern. My concern right now is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And so often what disturbs us from sitting at the feet of Jesus is stuff that is far less valuable than Jesus himself. Ah, pastor, you don't understand. My kids are crazy. I can't sit down for an hour and pray and go, they'll destroy my house. Well, let me tell you something. Your house is far less valuable than Jesus. Uh, You don't understand. I got to get up and get ready for work in the morning. Work requires me to be all the way there. Well, let me tell you something. That job is going to ruin you if you don't spend time with Jesus. That Jesus and the things that he tells us to pay attention to are the only things that are un that deserve our undivided attention. But it gets better. I, I got to move because I have two more things I want to show you in the text. We're going to go back to distracted Martha for, th- for point number three. And I want you to tally down what you are. Distracted Martha's petition Jesus without submission to Jesus. Distracted Martha's ask Jesus for stuff but won't give Jesus anything. Look at it in verse... 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord. Now, let's stop right there for a moment, because there's a contradiction here. If you can see how Luke wrote the passage, when he describes Jesus up front, he describes him in three different ways. In verse 38, it says, now, as they went on their way, Jesus, a general entrance to who he is, entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him. He was just him to Martha in the beginning. He was Jesus to the general public. He was him to Martha. And then look what it says about Mary. And and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet. Now, you got to remember when Luke writes his gospel, he's very meticulous. He's very detailed. Jesus in general, him to Martha, Lord to Mary. But all of a sudden in verse 40, Jesus becomes Lord to Mary. 
All of a sudden, Mary got her head on straight. And some of you were sitting there saying, preacher, you can land the plane now. She called him Lord. Wasn't that what you were looking for? Wasn't that what you're looking for? You want me to call Jesus my Lord? You want me to acknowledge that he's Lord and Savior? But Martha's doing something a little sneaky here. She's only calling Jesus Lord because she wants something from him. She's only calling Jesus Lord because she wants him on her side. That's the worst place to be. Have you ever been there where you're standing in between two people and they're arguing about something and they tap you and say, didn't they say or didn't they do? And you're just like, I wasn't even involved in this conversation. And the only reason you want my opinion is because you want me on your side. Mary is in the midst of an emotional argument with her sister. She is frustrated with her sister. She is mad with her sister. So she comes over and petitions Jesus and calls him Lord. But look at her request. Her request is astonishing. Her requests uh, 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 consist of something that I call audacity. Look at what Martha asked Jesus. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care? That my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. I'm calling you Lord because I want something from you. And I'm calling you Lord because I have this bad manipulative habit habit of backing you into the corner and telling you what I want. And you can stay Lord if you give it to me. But if you don't, I'm going to go right back to my busyness. So in this passage, what we notice about Martha is she's a double-hearted person. That she can call Jesus her Lord, but busyness is her king. She can call Jesus Lord, but the only reason she's calling him Lord is because she's saying, I want you to make sure the king of busyness stays on the throne of my life. Can I give you in plain terms what Martha is doing? Martha is petitioning Jesus to allow her to stay in her dysfunction but not only stay in her dysfunction by herself, but she's petitioning Jesus to send her sister to be dysfunctional with her. She said, can't can't you see? I'm serving all alone. Lord, I'll call you Lord now. I want to remain dysfunctional because this is what I know. Busyness is what I know. And not only do I want to do this by myself, I need you to send my sister along to help me. Look at what Jesus says to her. Didn't I tell you Grace shows up for dinner? Look at what Jesus does. Jesus is subtle. He flips the script on her. Look at what he does. He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen a good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Jesus shows her grace and says, Martha, if I was an idol, I would give you what you want right now. And the reason I will give you what you want, because it would make you worship me, but it would lead you to ruin. But since I am God, I am not going to give you what you want. And matter of fact, what I am going to do, what Jesus does when he calms Martha in this moment, is he actually takes over and becomes the host of the party. And he says, no, why, Martha? I'm going to take over and become the host of the party. Why? Because you've disqualified yourself with all this busyness. And this party was never about all the things you want. It's about the things that I want. And I'm only concerned about what's necessary. So, Martha, I want to reorient you to what really matters in the world. Now, some of you, if somebody would have did this to you, you probably would have used some choice words for them. What you think? I'm boo-boo the fool. I can't believe you would ask me something like that. You want me to get caught up in your foolishness? How do you have the nerve? No, Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't condemn her. Jesus doesn't beat her down. Jesus doesn't say, girl, what is wrong with you? 
Jesus simply pleads with her. He calls her name twice. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled. She shows him symptoms. He gives her a diagnosis. Said, Martha, this ain't about me. When you pulled me into your home, this was never about me. I was a side thought. You just want to do what you're used to doing. I'm going to show you what you are. You are anxious and you are troubled. Now, this is the hard thing about it. We see this in, 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 in our fourth thing, that when we are in the places of Martha, that Jesus will actually show us a picture of health of what we're supposed to look like. Now, imagine this. Martha is arguing with Mary. Mary is doing the right thing. Martha is pleading with Jesus to coincide with her and do the wrong thing and get Mary to do the wrong thing. And Jesus tells her, no, Martha, I won't do the wrong thing with you. Actually, what you need to do is be more like Mary. That would send some of us through the roof. In fact, today in our hearts, some of us have disdain for people because Jesus has shown us through his grace that they are the picture of healthiness in their spiritual walk and we are still dealing with the dysfunction and it's just something about them when they come up to us and they critique us about our lives they just rub us the wrong way why because when healthiness rubs up with illness there's a war going on Illness is either going to try to get rid of healthiness or healthiness is going to try to get rid of illness. Do you realize that Martha tried to take Mary out of her healthy place and put her into a place of dysfunction with her? Some of us rub up against people who are healthy. Some of us rub up against people at work who do the job the right way and don't cut corners and they just, oh, they just send us to the moon. Some of us rub up against marriages with husbands and wives that actually love each other and they just send us to the moon. Some of us rub up against Christians who actually read their Bible and all that old Bible thumper right there. They just make me sick. It ain't got to be all that. It ain't that deep. When healthiness starts to rub up against what's sick, somebody's going to scream. Martha begins to scream. Martha shows us, Mary, Jesus, excuse me, shows us something else about Mary. That in true discipleship, all you need is one thing. True discipleship is about one move on the chessboard. And that move is consistently doing the same thing over and over again. And Jesus tells Martha this, true discipleship is only about knowing what is necessary. Jesus said to her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Your life is filled with many things, but only one thing is necessary. Only one thing. It's Matthew 6, 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. One thing. One thing. What is the greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. One thing. And out of the necessary is where we develop our boundaries for the primary, the secondary, and the tertiary. So what happens is you have many things in your life and you're trying to order them and what is important and what is not important. And the reason you can't order them, you can't get balance is because you're missing the one thing. Only one thing is necessary. Only one thing is necessary. What he said, Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. The one thing is to sit at the feet of Jesus. 
the only thing that's going to stop us from being distracted Marthas and is going to get us to be devoted Marys is how often and how consistently and how much time we spend sitting at the feet of Jesus. I don't care how much Bible you know. I don't care if you can sing every song on the top Christian 100 for me. I don't care what seminary you've gone to. I don't care any of that. How much time do you spend with Jesus? You can show me somebody who is illiterate, who cannot read, who does not know a song, that spends hours with Jesus a day, and you can give me the best seminary scholar, and I can tell you who's winning the competition in heaven. One thing. So as I close out, I want you to ask yourself this, because I had to ask myself this as I was preparing this sermon this week. This was convicting for me. Are you a distracted Martha or a devoted Mary? Now, remember, this is not about competition. This is not about keeping score. This is not about condemnation. And I want to help you work that out. If your life was a dinner table. Let's say you got a dinner table for eight. What are the top seven things that are running your life right now? What are the people? What are the emotions? Is it fear? Is it unforgiveness? Is it lack of control? Is it a lack of... Who's sitting at your dinner table right now? If you were to think about your life and you say, tonight I'm having a dinner for eight and I'm having dinner with the top seven things, me and the top seven things that are running my life. Is it your job? Is it what you think is best for your children? What is sitting around the table? It's the first step I want you to take. And then the second step I want you to take that is if you happen to invite Jesus, how would the seating chart change? Who's Jesus telling to move over? Who's Jesus saying, yeah, you can be at the table, but you in my spot. Move over. Who is Jesus telling to get up from the table? Who is Jesus walking into your dinner and saying, I don't even know why you're here. If you invite Jesus to the table, what's going to shift around? If you look at your life as a dinner table and who's seated around it, you will find out if you are a distracted Martha or a devoted Mary. Now, as I close right here, for some of you that are here, you haven't even begun to set the table yet. For some of you who are watching, you haven't begun to set the table yet. Why? Because in order to set the table that Jesus will show up to, you first have to believe like Mary believed, not like Martha believed, that Jesus is Lord. What does it mean that Jesus is Lord? It means that he died on the cross for your sins that he rose on the third day out of the grave with power and that you believe that and that cleansed you and made you right again with God and that you give your life over to Jesus, not only as your savior, but as your Lord. That word Lord means your owner. The one that owns you, the one that directs you, the one that leads you, the one that guides you. And in order for you to make sense out of the table of your life, in order for you to allow Jesus and invite him to the table, you first have to allow him to have your heart. So those those out there who say, I need Jesus to have my heart because I'm tired of who's at my table. There's only arguments at my table. There's only pain at my table. There's only dysfunction at my table. I need somebody else to run the table. And the thing about Jesus being at your table is that Jesus doesn't sit on the side of the table. He sits at the head. 
So if you're going to invite Jesus to the table, you are inviting him as ruler, as Lord, as the chief operator, as the one that you worship in your life. So for those of you who are already believers, as you walk through your sanctification, who's running your table? Is there something sitting there that if you let it, if you told it to get up, it would change your life immeasurably? Is it fear? Is it worry? What is it that's sitting there? And for those of you who do not know Jesus, you need a new head to your table. And this head is the one that we preach about, the one that we sing about, the one who has changed our lives, the one who has washed us with his blood and washed away all of our sins, the one who has made us right again with God, the one who's controlled the destiny of our eternity to be with him in heaven. And for those of you who are out there still fighting, this is going to sound like a hard one for you. But if Jesus is not at the head, and you feel like you are better at the head, my loving prayer for you is that your table will break out into chaos. Because control is this thing, it's this illusion that we have to believe that we can govern our own lives, but we can't. So as I close out in prayer, I would love to see where your tally marks at. That's your homework. I won't be back here next week to check it, but we're going to use the integrity rule. That all of you here, check off if you are devoted, Mary, or distracted Martha. And wherever you are, pray for God's strength to continuously keep you as a devoted Mary or snatch you out of being a distracted Martha. And then let me pray for those who have opened door to the church in salvation. And if you do give your heart to Jesus, if you do allow him to be king over your life and I say allow him out of free will not out of permissiveness Jesus can do whatever he wants that this church will be a great church for you to come out and visit maybe you come from behind the screen and come sit in the auditorium and figure out what this body of Christ thing is about let me pray for us God today this message for some of us was like surgery You had to dig deep inside of us and remove some things. But the healing process won't start until we get home and we actually begin to rehab and renew our mind about how we need to be a devoted Mary and not a distracted Martha. Then for some of us, this message was like a checkup. You've been saying this to us already. And everything is not in chaos, but there are a few things that are moved around on the table and we need to get it back straight. Because we realize that some things have been going wrong. Stuff just feels off. The pandemic threw us for a loop. And we found ourselves running around the houses of our lives trying to do whatever we can to make sure everything looks nice for you, but we haven't spent any time with you. We pray that you just make those adjustments in our lives then there are those of us who our heart is breaking in a good way and a bad way in a bad way because we realize the brokenness that we have inside of us we realize that we cannot do it by ourselves we realize that we were the only we were we were the hero of our own stories and we've failed ourselves but the way our heart is breaking in the good way is because the, the true hero is coming now 
the one that speaks to us like he spoke to Martha, 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 you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. That thing that is necessary, that person that is necessary is Jesus. That place that is necessary is the cross where he died for our sins. In the grave where he has risen up out of it with all power in his hands. Will you take them to that place? But remember, this passage is about true discipleship. That none of us can be true disciples and be distracted by the things we have going on in our lives. That none of us can be true disciples and multitask you into our schedules. But we need to be devoted. We need to have tunnel vision. We need to be single-minded. We thank you so much for this word today. Lord, it convicted me like crazy this week. It touched my heart. I too am going home with homework. And I pray that the rest of us will break our way into being devoted Marys, which will bring you more glory, which will reach more souls, which will expand your kingdom, and will actually show the world that there's something else out here besides busyness that gives real fruit in life. It's in Jesus' name we pray and we thank you. Amen.